Hey, good morning. Good to see you guys. Thanks for being here. Merry Christmas. Hey, thank you. Uh, my name is Garrett. If we haven't met before, I'm one of the pastors on staff here. Thanks so much for spending part of the morning at Arbor. We are wrapping up today a series we've been in for the last several weeks called Just Like Jesus. And this morning, we're going to be taking a look at forgiveness, how to forgive like Jesus. But before we dive in, just some quick, quick, some, some quick history on this message, uh, some quick context. We decided to do this series because our desire, the purpose behind it, is to investigate Christ in hope that we might imitate Christ. And I want to say this slightly differently. My hope is that we would get to know Jesus so we can be like Jesus. And I'm going to touch on that a little bit later in the message and and explain why that distinction to me is important, all right? Um, But... In the theme of forgiveness, since, you know, let's bring it in and interact with me here for a second. By a show of hands, how many of you at some point in your life have messed up and had to fess up to someone for the thing you did and ask for forgiveness? Huh? All right. I'm in good company. That's good to know. I'm sorry for you, but it does make me feel better. All right. Okay. Now, you don't have to raise your hands on this one, but think about it. How many of us have messed up so bad, so bad, that we were in a place where we were absolutely terrified to own up to what we've done and ask forgiveness? I think this is why Southwest created those want to get away commercials, right? It's like, uh, can I just not do that? Can I hop on a plane, get the heck out of here? Or uh, I've come down with some illness that no one's ever heard of before, but it's bad. It lasts about a year. I can't answer the phone, my fingers don't work, I can't email or text, right? Like anything but owning up to what I've done. This is a feeling I'm quite familiar with. And I had a lot of examples to choose from and what story I was going to tell you. But the one that comes to my mind and stands out the most to me was when I was 15 years old. My sister, six years older than me, 21, she's a junior in college, she's dating this guy, they're planning to be married, and like any good, broke college dude, he was trying to sell stuff to make money so he could afford a ring. If you were here a couple weeks ago, you know this is my story as well. Sell a truck, get a ring. That's how it goes. So, one of the things he was trying to sell was he was trying to unload his mode of transportation in college, how he got around to classes and wherever else. It was a red Honda Elite moped. I don't know if you've seen these things before. They're ugly. Nothing screams the 1980s like a Honda Elite moped. So this dude, his name's Steve, who is now my brother-in-law, spoiler alert. Uh, Things turned out all right. Steve calls my dad and says, hey, Mr. Berklin, here's what I'm doing. I don't have a place to store this or when people want to come see it. You know, I live in a dorm. Can I take it to your house, park it in your garage, and would you be willing to field the phone calls when people want to come check it out? My dad says, sure, happy to do that. So Steve drove it over to our house, brings it into the garage. Again, I'm 15. He's 21. He's like, he's like a god to me. This dude walks on water. He's just the coolest. That's a college dude. So cool. And, uh, and he knows this. He knows that, uh, that I just have so much admiration for him. And so after everything wraps up and he walks my dad through the <laughs> motorcycle, he, uh, he looks at me, he's like, hey, you want to see something cool? I'm like, yeah, totally. 
You know in garages how the, the garage floor is like that smooth, polished concrete? So, so he sits on the moped, and he puts his legs down, big guy, okay? Puts his legs down, and he braces himself with all of his strength in his legs, and he's like, okay, you think I can, you think I can hold it from taking off? I'm like, you can totally do it. You're 21. You're awesome, man. And he throttles it. He revs it a little bit, and then he just hammers it just full throttle floors it. And that back tire starts squealing and burning out. Smoke's going up in the air. I'm like, yeah, this is awesome. He calms it down. We high five. And he's like, don't ever try this. No, no, I never try that. Never try that. All right, cool. He takes off. A couple days goes by. Yeah, right? (laughs) 15-year-old brain. It's not a smart one. A couple days later, I'm coming back from school. I walk in through the garage. I'm opening the door to go inside and no one's home. And over my shoulder, I see this beautiful red Honda Elite moped, and it has the key in it. Come on. It's begging for me to take it for a joyride. So I fire it up, and I open the garage door, and I make a couple laps around the neighborhood, and no harm, no foul, didn't hit anything. No one's ever going to know the difference. Bring it back in, park it, set it down, start walking inside, and I'm like, oh. As I was walking in, I walked over the burnout patch he left in our garage. It's like... I got to try this. I got to try this. Okay. So I get it back up, open the garage door, point it out so I can look out, make sure I can see if anyone's coming in, you know. I brace myself. So, okay, two points of clarification. I'm 15. Have I said that? I'm probably maybe 5'8", 120 pounds. Steve, 6'3", 200 plus. I am now 43. My legs have still not filled in, okay? (laughs) Like imagine what it looked like when I was 15. So I sit my little skinny butt on the seat, and I put my legs on the ground, and I start revving it up, and then I hammer it. Okay, pause. The other thing I didn't notice was Steve's sleight of hand voodoo magic, which was put the front brake on while Garrett's paying attention to the back wheel burning out. So I got skinny legs and no front brake. I hammer that sucker. It did not burn out. It chirped a little bit, and then it took off. I slid backwards. When I slid backwards, my wrist went like this. I pinned the throttle down. I went out the garage, down the driveway. By the time, you know, probably three seconds have elapsed. I pull myself back up on the seat, hit the brake. But now I'm off the driveway in the landscaping, which is bark, and a brake, a braking vehicle in bark does not slow down very quick. I slide through the bark head on into a giant birch tree, flip over the handlebars, hit my shoulder, it spins me around, I land on my back, just in time to see the bike coming out of the air onto my shins. It's a true story. You can come feel my shins if you want, they're still messed up. I'm freaked out. I'm jacked full of adrenaline. I'm pushing this thing off my leg. I look down, my right shin is bleeding profusely. There is shrapnel everywhere. Every, there's stuff everywhere. And my mind's like, okay, I got to fix it. I got to fix it. I got to fix it. So I pull the bike up and I'm hobbling, pushing it back into the garage. again. in the garage, I get a dustpan and broom and I sweep the stuff up and I dump it out and I start playing Humpty Dumpty with the moped. It ain't working. And now my leg starts telling me, hello, I'm bleeding to death. Help. So not really, but you know, that's what you do up here. You exaggerate. So <laughs> if you didn't know, so, so, <laughs> That doesn't set me up good for the rest of my message, does it? Just keep telling stories. So, all right, so let's fast forward. Dad comes home. I have to tell him what happened. He was pretty cool about it. He's like, well, that's a bummer, man. You're going to have to call Steve. What? No. No, could you do it, Dad? 
Oh, son, that's bad. No. No, you, that's what you got to do, buddy. Daddy's going to kill me. Uh-huh. Yep. Yep. Welcome to manhood, son. Comes early at 15 when you do stupid stuff. All right, so I call Steve. Hey, Steve, it's Garrett. Um, are you going to be coming around our house anytime in the near future? Oh, yeah, I'm coming over. He's older. Yeah, I'm coming over tonight. That's my voice, the high one. Anyway, he's coming over to see my, my sister tonight. Oh, tonight. Oh, that's, what's going on? Oh, nothing. Just wanted to talk with you about what's up. Uh, you know, we'll talk about it when you get here. Okay, you're acting kind of weird. Yeah, no, yeah, no. We'll see you soon. Okay, bye. Hang up. Three hours, I sit freaking out in a pool of my own fluids, man. I'm just like, this, uh, this is not great. Steve shows up. I didn't want him to go through the garage and see this. Walked him upstairs to the dinner table, sat down with my dad, laid out what had happened. He was pretty cool. He really was. He was nice. He was totally bummed out, just trying to figure out, okay, dude, it's good. I forgive you, but how am I going to buy a wedding ring for your sister now? So my dad came up with a plan. He wrote Steve a check for $800 and said, Garrett, now you owe me. Every day after school, you will come home. You will work for two hours. On weekends, you'll work longer. I'll pay you $10 an hour until you pay off the $800. So the rest of my school year looked like me doing a lot of landscaping. My dad had the nicest yard he's ever had in his life. <laughs> Only cost him 800 bucks. It's a deal for him. Where am I going with this story? I don't remember. <laughs> Where I'm going with this is sometimes we do stupid stuff and we have to own up to it and apologize and ask for forgiveness. And that sucks and that's hard. But there's other times in our life where something's done to us and no fault of our own. Sometimes, you know, it's little things and sometimes it's much, much, much bigger things, things that are unjust, immoral, tragic, perverse, things that break our hearts, break our souls, confuse us. Sometimes these things happen to us at a very, very young age and continue throughout our life. And the question is, what do we do with that? And do we possess the ability to forgive like Jesus forgave? And if so, what does that look like? How do you even do that? And so that's our focus today. How do we forgive like Jesus? And I think it's the perfect time because we're just about to celebrate Christmas, which is a tangible reminder. Jesus, our Savior, manifest in front of us is a constant reminder of God's forgiveness to us. And so as we go into this season, what an amazing thing to look at this and remember. That baby in a manger is our tangible proof that God loves us so much. He forgave us by sending his son. I think there's a lot of confusion around forgiveness, what it is. There's so many avenues I could have gone down in this, um, in this talk. And, uh, and I'm going to pick one. So hopefully you've heard some things before, like forgiveness doesn't necessarily mean forgetting. Um, forgiving someone doesn't mean you have to invite them back into your life, that you have to make yourself susceptible to that person or that trauma, those events over and over and over again. And, and I'm, I, I apologize, I'm not going to do a lot of heavy lifting and walking through that. Because I want to go up, I, th I think at a bigger level, and talk about how did Jesus possess the ability to forgive? 
and all the things that were done to him that he didn't deserve, how was he able to do it? And is it possible to be like him in that way? I'm going to start quickly with what forgiveness is not, okay? It is not what's played out in my home day after day after day with my kids when they're fighting. Blythe, my eight-year-old, be yelling at Esme, my almost 13-year-old. I'll walk up there, hey, knock it off. Stop it. Stop fighting. Like, ah. <laughs> oh, peace, peace. Okay, Blythe, say you're sorry. Sorry, Esme. Esme, tell you forgive her. I forgive you, Blythe. Right, that's not forgiveness. That's called coercion. As a parent, I've got very good at this. And as I was preparing this message, I thought, oh man, I am setting a terrible model for my kids of what forgiveness looks like. But that is not forgiveness. And forgiveness also isn't this warm, fuzzy feeling. You know, I'm sorry. Oh, it's okay. I forgive you. Feeling bad is sometimes part of repentance, and that's okay. But that is not necessarily forgiveness. How do we forgive when we've been wrong? Forgiveness, true biblical forgiveness, I believe, is one of the key secrets to successful living in the kingdom of heaven. A good friend of mine, and I'm jumping ahead, um, guys back there with the slides, I'm sorry, I'm jumping ahead. A good friend of mine said it this way about forgiveness. Forgiveness is the oxygen we breathe in the kingdom of heaven. I loved that. I love that. Let me, let me tease this out for you a little bit. What does that mean? There's a couple meanings to it. Number one, again, as we get ready to celebrate Christmas, God forgave, right? John 3.16, that he sent his only begotten son. Without Jesus, without his birth, his death, and his resurrection defeating the grip of death. We are stuck back here in the old covenant, dead in the debt that we owe. So forgiveness frees us from that debt. In our human flesh, we are dead if we don't have breath in our lungs. And breathing is a two-part thing. You breathe in, and you breathe out. Some of us, when it comes to forgiveness, we're trying to receive it from Jesus. We're trying to receive forgiveness, and we're breathing in. And we breathe some more in. And we breathe some more in. But you can only breathe in so much. And then you hold it. And you hold it. And you hold it. And bitterness wells up. And resentment wells up. And anger wells up. You're receiving forgiveness for your trespasses but I'm not sure I can forgive these other people or these other situations. And at some point, you have to. Forgiveness is the oxygen we breathe in the kingdom of heaven. And I'll touch more on that shortly with scripture. We breathe it in and we blow it out. We breathe it in and we blow it out. We receive it and we give it. We receive it and we give it. Isn't that a beautiful picture of forgiveness? that without breath in our lungs, we are dead. You can go a time without food and without water, like we have some basic human needs. You cannot go very long without breathing before you pass out and ultimately are in a place of paralysis and need permanent help. So as I was preparing this, I did not plan to speak on 
the Lord's Prayer. That was touched on a couple weeks ago when Scott Hetherington was up here. Uh, the message was Pray Like Jesus, and he touched on the Lord's Prayer. But as I was preparing for this morning, God revealed something to me that absolutely blew my mind. I'd never thought of it before. I'd never seen it before. I'd never noticed it before. I'd never heard it taught on before. It totally tripped me out. I came uh, here to the office and went around to several of the staff members and showed them, have you seen this before? Have you noticed before? Like, how could I be 43 years old and never hear this or notice this before? And every single one of them was like, wow, no, we've never seen that before either. We never thought of that either. So then I'm like, well, man, maybe I'm on to something. Like, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe some of you have heard this and thought of this before. Maybe not. But I hope this morning that something clicks with you that, that clicked with me. And so I'm going to go back and look at the Lord's Prayer. And I'm going to take a different angle. I'm going to stay high level and look at what I believe is the purpose behind the prayer. Okay? So I'm going to walk through it quickly. We're in Matthew 6. This is the sermon known as the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. He says, Matthew 6, starting in verse 9, Then this is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It starts with a recognition of who he is and that he is holy. God in heaven, you are great. You are holy. Holy is your name. Then your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God, you're holy. And we want to walk in your kingdom here on earth, right now, as it is in heaven. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. God, you're holy, and we want to be in your kingdom. Oh, I skipped give us this day our daily bread, didn't I? Give, okay, so, so, so you're holy. May your kingdom come. May we walk in it, and in your kingdom we have all that we need. Everything is taken care of. I have no need. I don't need to focus on all the other stuff and the pressures of the world and the stuff that I want because you are all that I need. Remind me of that, that I just give me my daily bread. That's the only part of the whole Lord's Prayer that's about us as the individual. And forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. As we walk in the kingdom, as we're in abundance and have everything we need, may we breathe in your forgiveness and breathe out your forgiveness. This is where the forgiveness is the oxygen we breathe thing stands out to me. Because they're, they're not separate things. They're connected. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You can't separate them. I breathe in and I breathe out. I receive and I give. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Also, something I didn't mention at the beginning is a quick definition of what forgiveness means in the context that Jesus is using it here. The word that Jesus is using in the Greek is an accounting term. It's a financial term that means to cancel the effect of, to cut off. So the words here are important. Forget us, forgive us our debts. Some translations say forgive us our sins, but the more accurate term here is a financial term. Forgive us our debts. Forgive means to cut off, to cancel the effects of. Cancel the effects of our debt. As we release those who are indebted to us, we cut off and cancel the effects of their debts, what they owe us, their wrongdoings to us. Are you tracking with me? This is cool. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So let's look at the whole arc of this. God, you're holy. Starts with a, with a recognition of who he is. You are holy. 
May your kingdom come and your will be done. May we walk in your kingdom. May we rest in your provision that you are all we need. The kingdom is all we need. We breathe in your forgiveness and we breathe out your forgiveness. Give us the strength to remember this and to walk in this and not fall prey to the schemes of the enemy. This is the context of the Lord's Prayer. Powerful. It's rocking my mind as I'm going through this. And then we think it ends there. That's what I've heard preached on my whole life. Thine be the kingdom, the power, the glory forever. Amen. And that's how we ought to pray. Here's the thing. Is there anything Jesus said or did with his disciples that was purely for the sake of information? Was he in the business of just telling them this thing? Here's how you should pray, so just do it. Or was he in the business of transformation? Was he in the business of taking what they thought they knew and turning it upside down and saying, this is really what the kingdom looks like. This is really what the heart of the Father is like. And so we get in a place where we learn these things and we read scripture and we read the Lord's Prayer and we memorize it and we recite it, which is all good, but it strips it of some of its power because he didn't give us a prayer to pray simply to recite it and check it off the list. That's called religion. He gave us a prayer to pray so that we would understand him better, so we would understand the heart of the Father better. Have you ever paid attention to the next two verses that come after it? Because he's not done with his instructions on how to pray. He's about to go into instructions on how to fast, but he's not there yet. It says, chapter 6, verse 14, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive you. Friends, the Lord's Prayer is about forgiveness. It may not be exclusively about that, but when Jesus wraps something up and summarizes what he just taught on, it's significant. He is telling you this is why I'm telling you this. He walks through a prayer and says, this is about kingdom living. This is about the way that I am ushering in. And in this way, you breathe in forgiveness and you breathe out forgiveness. And if you don't, this is scary, man. Like, we don't like talking on this stuff. We like the feel-good scriptures. But this ends. His lesson to his disciples on how to pray ends with, if you don't forgive, I can't forgive you. I won't forgive you. So now, the question is, how did he forgive? How did he possess the ability to forgive the way he forgave? And you might say, well, he's God. Easy, check. Jesus is God. He can easily forgive. I'm human. It's hard. Okay, I'm with you, right? I'm with you. Except for the fact that he was fully man. So what do you do with that? It's fully God and fully man. And he's teaching out of his human flesh a spiritual principle and so as we look at this how is jesus the man able to forgive the way he forgives and it comes down to identity and it comes down to purpose okay hey wait garrett so we started on forgiveness and we kind of went on this crazy train of the lord's prayer and now you're bringing us into identity and purpose how does this all fit together when jesus was getting ready he knew, he knew 
the guards were coming for him, that he was going to be taken and ultimately murdered on the cross. As he was preparing for that moment, he had a conversation with his disciples, and he said, hey, here's what's about to go down, but I'm not going to leave you alone. When I, when I ascend, I, I'm going to go up to heaven. I'll come back in a little bit, but while I'm away, I'm going to send you the advocate, the helper, my spirit. And he says, when, that, when I release that spirit and he comes upon you, you are going to receive power and you're going to do greater things than I did. This had to be mind-blowing, right? Greater things than you. How are we going to do greater things than you did? You healed the sick. You raised the dead. You know, like this is nuts. What do you mean we're going to do greater things than you did? How did Jesus knew, know what he knew? How did he stay on the right course, connected to purpose? How did he live the life that he did? And how can we be just like Jesus? Through the indwelling of his resurrected spirit. See, when Jesus was here, he was the only human on the planet to have the spirit of God residing within him. There is a few other times throughout history that we know about where the presence of God was here on the earth, the Ark of the Covenant, right? We think about creation and Adam and Eve in the garden walking with God. So there's examples, a few, of the presence of God being here. But for the first time ever in human history did the presence of God reside within a human. And that human was Jesus. And it was that spirit that connected him to the Father. Jesus says, the Father and I are one. Okay? He knew exactly who he was and what he was supposed to do. Sometimes we get caught up on uh, the conversation of uh, potential. You know, I gotta, re- I gotta achieve my potential. I gotta do more. I gotta do this. I, you know, uh, there's all this focus on self and understanding me and being my true self. And sometimes we get misguided and we focus on Potential, this might be a controversial statement. Hang in there with me for a second. I don't think Jesus reached his full potential. I don't. I think if he lived on this earth longer, he could have healed more people. He could have talked to more and more bigger crowds. I think that there's more he could have done. But that wasn't his purpose. The enemy is constantly wanting to twist the truth. There's an enemy, there is, an adversary of our soul. His name is Satan. And his job is to taint truth. There is no truth in him. He can only kill, steal, and destroy. There is no good in him. And he tries to take truth and just twist it slightly. So with those of us that are Jesus followers, he knows he lost that battle. He's not going to convince us that Jesus is not the way. He's not going to convince us that Jesus didn't save our souls. So the next thing he's going to do is strip us as a Jesus follower from our power by twisting the truth and making us believe lies. See, when Jesus was on earth, he had this direct connection with the Father, and you understood his purpose because it was spoken to him directly from God. But when he left, he said, I give this same spirit to you. That's why greater things than these can you do in my name. Because now not just one person has the spirit of God living in them. Now everyone who through faith believes in him inherits that same spirit that dwells in them. 
Jesus says, the Father and I will make our home in you. Isn't that awesome? That same resurrected spirit now lives in us, and we have a direct connect with God the Father. We can read all we want. We can read scripture, and we can learn about Jesus. We can learn about famous characters throughout the Bible. I encourage you to do it. I think it's highly uh, important. We believe that scripture is the breath of God. I just talked about breath. There's life in breath. It's alive. The spirit resides in those scriptures. Okay? I think it's important. But sometimes we read these things, and we find other famous people in history that we admire, and we read about them. We learn about them. We watch documentaries about them. We might take pieces of their personality, their character, their behavior, and try and emulate them in ourselves because they're things we admire. And that's good. That's fine. But here's the thing. Any of those people, we can never know them. You know why we can't know them? Because they're dead. They're dead. We will never know them because we'll never be in relationship with them. So we can read about them and try and behave like them, but we will never know them. But Jesus, Jesus isn't dead. Jesus is alive, and his spirit is alive within us. How do we forgive the way Jesus forgave? We're connected through the power of the Holy Spirit to, the God, to God the Father just like he was. And so we walk in relationship with him, and we are able to experience him. There is no relationship outside of experience. You tracking with me? As we experience God, all we know about him through our study of the scriptures comes alive and the two come together and oh my gosh, now, now my faith is a force to be reckoned with because everything I studied, everything I learned is not just for behavior modification. God is not about behavior modification. God is not about information for the sake of information. God is a God of transformation. That's why he talks in the scriptures about be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We can renew ourselves through knowing him. We know him through experiencing him. We experience him through the power of his spirit. That is how we possess the ability to forgive like Jesus forgave. Again, the adversary, one of the things that he wants to twist and taint because he's already lost the battle on you following Jesus is he wants to strip the power of forgiveness from you. He wants to twist it and make you believe that it is a position of weakness, not a position of strength. So when something happens to you, a natural human response is something in the realm of fear, anger, right? Something to, the, to protect ourselves. And those are hardwired into us by our creator. Those are good and right feelings to feel in that moment because our creator wired them into us. Why did he wire them into us? To point us to him. They're supposed to be alarms. They're supposed to be warning bells. Hey, this isn't good. This isn't normal. I don't like this. God, what's happening? Where are you? Where am I? What do you want me to know right now, Father? I'm scared. I'm alone. I'm hurt. 
I'm bruised, I'm traumatized. But the enemy wants to grab those feelings before it goes where it's supposed to go and say, hang on to those feelings. Hang on to those. This is right. This is just. Don't let that person have a leg up on you. Don't ever give them that position in your life again. Hang on to it. And it feels good. It feels powerful. It feels primal at times. But like every lie of the enemy, it's hollow. What looks good and feels good in the moment ends up being the equivalent to being thirsty and drinking a glass of baby powder. You're going to cough it up, spit, sputter, wipe your mouth out, and now you're begging, reaching, yearning for a glass of water so you can rinse your mouth out. This is what the enemy does over and over and over again. I'm not going to riddle you with examples, but just think about it for a second. Our human desires, when we don't take them to God and say, why am I feeling this way? Instead, we follow our flesh and the lie of the enemy. Every time they lead us off a cliff. Think about Jesus when he was tempted by Satan in the desert. Satan says, jump off the cliff. Angels will catch you. He's been doing the same crap forever. It's not a new trick. Yet we fall prey to it because this is what culture teaches us. And it's how he twists the truth. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sitting on this a little bit long. But there's a, the Bible has a lot to say about us as Jesus followers being aware of the schemes of the enemy that he wants to trick us. And that's why the Lord's Prayer ends the way it does. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one so that we can stay in the kingdom. We know he's there, he's lurking, he's waiting for me to get tired, and he's gonna pounce. And I'm not gonna buy it this time. Deliver me, King Jesus, deliver me. I want to remain in the kingdom. So I wanna wrap up, begin to wrap up, with a story and try and put some legs to how this all looks and works. Um, a tangible example of how this has played out in my own personal life. So 12 years, 12-ish years ago, um, I was making a transition out of my job in the marketplace into full-time vocational ministry. I was so excited. It's something I wanted to do my whole life and um, I was right about 30 years old and finally got the opportunity to do this. And I um, joined the staff of a church. It's not Arbor. Jake wasn't my pastor back then. This is a long, long time ago. I joined this church, and uh, a couple months in, was given the opportunity to get up on stage and introduce the service, you know, like what Anna did this morning. Come in and welcome everybody. And um, if you know anything about me or heard me speak a couple years ago here, you've heard me say I have a great, great history with passing out in public. Uh, my school, my college asked me to, to speak on their behalf one time in front of thousands of college professors, and uh, I did until I didn't. I, and on a huge stage, honestly, in front of thousands of people, I just tipped over right in front of them, passed out most embarrassing, well, one of the most embarrassing things. Uh, that was probably the most embarrassing thing until I was officiating a wedding, and you've seen videos of like groomsmen passing out. But have you ever seen videos of the officiant passing out? <laughs> I tipped over and stole the thunder of the bride. All eyes were on me. Luckily, it wasn't caught on video. Uh, anyway, <laughs> loose track. I've gone so many tangents. This is what it's like to work with me. Just kind of like, all right, if I hang in long enough, maybe he'll make sense. So, so they asked me to get up on stage and speak. I'm terrified of speaking because I know I pass out. 
But there's this thing in me that has always wanted to preach, always. I don't know if it was a desire or a calling. I don't know what it was. I just knew that I always wanted to do it. And I didn't know how I was going to get from this point to this point. Like, how was I going to get over that Grand Canyon of fear and passing out? But they asked me if uh, I would do this. And I happily said yes. I didn't tell them anything about my history of passing out. I got up. I did the bit. The stage there was pretty high. And there were stairs that you had to walk down afterwards. And I walked down the stairs. And my direct supervisor was standing at the bottom of the stairs waiting for him. And he gave me a big high five and a hug. He was like, dude, that was incredible. You nailed it. Great job, man. I was like, oh, yes. So, you know, went about the rest of the day. Monday mornings was when we had our one-on-one meetings. My supervisor reiterated in that moment what a great job I did and um, said, you did such a good job. We want to put you on the regular rotation. You'll be up there at least once a month, maybe more. I was like, this is incredible. How cool. Like, I'm two months into vocational ministry and like things are working out great so next time comes and I'm really excited and I think I do about the same job I felt pretty good about it I walked down the stairs and this guy's standing at the bottom of the stairs again this time the conversation went a bit differently it started so I know there's kids in here so I'll censor this but it started with four letter words and ended with four letter words and had a whole lot of four letter words in between not only have I never been spoke to like that in my life I worked in the bank like if there's any institutions in the world that aren't super moral, I mean, I'm sorry, that's rude. But look, like, I worked in corporate America. I never was spoken to that way. I go to a church, and it's just like, whoa, is this even, can you do this? What's happening? I was like so just floored. And this continued to happen time after time, month after month, receiving this kind of verbal barrage. Um, happened on Sundays, right at the bottom of the stage. It happened throughout the week. It was awful. And I, I honestly was losing my you-know-what. Like, I wanted to go off on this dude. Um, I didn't know what to do. He's my boss. Like, do I go to the elders and tell them what's going on? And then I'm the tattletale, right? Like, all this stuff's going through your head. And I just knew I was mad. So I called my mentor. We sat down for lunch, and I explained what was going on. And after he was able to get his jaw up off the table, he asked me at least 20 times, like, really, that word? Yes, I swear, that word. Like, really, that? Yes, like, sandwiched and mayonnaise filling. Like, all throughout, it's that word. I was like, I, don't, I can't believe this. Okay. But he finally just stopped, and he sat back, and he's like, here's what you're going to do, Garrett. And if you know my mentor, this is how he speaks to me often. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to forgive him. I know I'm not. I'm going to get fired. Or I'm going to quit, one of the two. No, you're going to forgive him. How in the world am I going to do that? He hasn't asked for forgiveness. He hasn't apologized. I don't even think he knows he's doing anything wrong. Is that the example Jesus set for us? That if the stars align and conditions are right, that then we forgive? Or did Jesus say you forgive, and when the people asked him, how much do we forgive, what was Jesus' response? That's right, 70 times 7. Okay, so let's do some math. 490 times? I think that misses the point. First of all, I challenge any of us to forgive uh, 490 times, okay? That's a lot. Second, that's not what Jesus was saying. What he was saying was a Hebrew idiom for eternity. And everyone... And in, in his audience knew that. When that guy asked Jesus, how many times do I forgive? Forever. Again and again and again and again. So I asked my mentor, how in the world do I forgive this dude? He said, here's how you forgive this dude. You switch your perspective for the perspective of Jesus. 
you are going to begin to pray for this guy. And you're not going to pray for him to change, for him to fix himself, for him to apologize to you. You are going to pray what Jesus prays, which is God bless him. God come into his heart and bless his marriage, bless his kids, bless him as a dad, have favor on his kids at school, have favor on on his kids and their sports team. You are going to pray the heart of the father for that guy. I was like, this is, this is impossible. I don't think that. I don't feel that. And my mentor said, and yet it is. And yet it is. And it'll take you a long time, and you won't feel it at first. But as you do this and walk in faith, the right feelings will follow. And he was right. I began to pray for this guy. And I would stop in my prayers. I'd get super distracted because specific instances would come into my mind and I'd get ticked off and I'd get off track and then I'd have to ask forgiveness. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm a, okay, back to this. Over and over, week after week, month after month, but you know what happened as I did this? My heart began to change. My heart began to change and I started to realize as I was praying for God to bless this guy and his family that God didn't hold me to the same standard I was holding this guy to. God didn't have all this pent-up anger and issue with me and demand so much of me before he forgave me. And if I'm going to receive forgiveness of my debts, am I willing to forgive those who owe a debt to me, even if they don't know it or ask forgiveness for it? And as God began to change my perspective and help me to understand more and more of what he's done for me, I was able to more and more freely pray those things for that person. Got to a point where we were at a staff retreat. Uh, This is probably a year later. Uh, There was um, staff and spouses, probably a little over 20 of us. And we were sitting in a room and we were asked by our lead pastor to go around and pick one person and point out something about them that you're grateful for. So we went around the room, I'm like, I got something for this, this guy over here, let me tell you, this is my chance. Uh, no, I was in a better space at that time. We went around the room, and this guy's wife stands up, and she calls my name, and she says, you don't know any of this, but since you came to work here, my husband has changed. Since you've been here, he's been less stressed, he's come home earlier, he's been more helpful around the house, He's been more interactive with our kids. She just started going down this stuff. And, and when I ask him what's going on, he credits it to you. This guy and I have never talked about what's going on and what I'm praying for in the background. I was floored. That thing got done, and I looked at Tawny, and I was like, Can you, what just happened? Can you believe that? She's like, I don't know. That was a trip. Today, 2019, this couple and their family is one of our best friends. Can you believe that? We vacation with this couple, with their family. Our kids play together. We eat meals together. Often, we serve together. They're some of our closest friends. The kingdom of heaven, you guys, is awesome. The enemy wants me to believe that this dude deserves death. And that in that anger, I hold on to my righteousness and I have a position of strength over him because he can't get to me. How did Jesus on the cross after being spit at, flogged, laughed at, now he's hanging by a couple nails 
and the dudes that put him up there are beneath him playing a game to see who gets his clothes. He's got common criminals on either side and he sits there and what are some of the last words our Savior says? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What grace, they don't get it. They don't know, they don't know. Don't hold them accountable for this, God. Forgive them, I forgive them. I know my purpose and it is for this that those people might be forgiven by you. Friends, as Jesus defeated the power of sin and death and rose to his throne in heaven, he released that spirit that connected him to God, that connected him to purpose, and that raised him from the dead. He released that spirit to you and to me. He said, all you gotta do is believe, and I come and make residence within you and you will be able to live this same kingdom life. You will have power over death. You will have power over the enemy. You will know who you are. You will find your purpose. You will find your identity. Because see, when my identity is wrapped up in what you think of me and what you've done to me, I'm kind of stuck. And you have power over me. But as I release that, as I find my identity in my father and in the salvation of king jesus and as i look to that and as i walk in that and as i breathe in forgiveness i can breathe it out as i breathe it in i breathe it out it comes becomes second nature i'm not saying i'm perfect on this but god's taking us on a journey that's what sanctification is we're constantly becoming more like him how do we become like him by knowing him how do we know him by experiencing him and when we experience him, it loops all the way back to everything we've read about him. And the world comes alive and the kingdom is, oh my gosh, this guy, I hated him, is now one of my closest friends. That makes no sense. It's the upside down kingdom of heaven. Man, when you get a taste of it, you're going to be released. You're going to be freed. And you're going to realize that the devil's been lying to you your whole life. Holding on to that garbage is not strength. You might have heard the quote before, bitterness is like swallowing poison and waiting for the other person to die. Interesting, isn't it? Man, bitterness in you, anger in you, resentment in you, they don't even know. It's not doing anything to them. Probably not even thinking about you. You're rotting away. And they're out having a good time because you drank poison and you're waiting for them to drop dead. It's not how it works when you drink poison. It's how it works when the enemy lies to you. It's hollow. Hold on to it. Don't hold on to it. I'm telling you right now, don't hold on to it. Release it. Cut it off. Man, there's a whole bunch of additional stuff that goes on with this, right? Like you got to deal. Like, like, there's a silly example, but... I wrecked the moped, I got forgiveness, I still had to pay for the moped, okay? Like, if you're dealing with deep trauma in your life, there's still work to do. I, I get that. But I'm just telling you, in the kingdom of heaven, as you release yourself, not even the other person, as you release yourself from the bitterness and the resentment, you begin to experience freedom. And it's not weakness, 
Do any of us look at Jesus on the cross when he said, Father, forgive him, and think, oh, that was weak. Jesus could have taken himself off that cross anytime he wanted. It was probably the strongest thing Jesus ever said or did. And he gives us the same ability. We can do the same. Would you pray with me?